3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I know today's action didn't feel great. Averages started real strong, and then rolled over. Dow closing off 14 points. doesn't be declining 0.03%, as that gets you down 0.01%. But believe it or not, this is actually the kind of decline you want if you're a bull. Hey, we can't just keep rallying on the same news over and over again. Yes, the Fed might be willing to cut interest rates if the economy keeps getting softer. Yes, President Trump and President Xi could hammer out a trade deal. Yes, we've had a bunch of major takeovers. But in the end, rallies need more and more fuel. Without it, you end up with a day like this one, a roaring opening and then a rollover, a soggy session that reminds us that stocks, well, they can go down too. Buy, buy, buy. Sell, 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 sell. So what did make today so soggy? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, the Cloud Kings, all the red hot cloud based enterprise stocks. Well, they were dethroned today, just like I predicted yesterday. I mean, honestly, yesterday Salesforce told us that it's buying Tableau software for a huge premium, and the whole cloud cohort roared higher on the news as they, well, everyone figured that every company in the sector. Oh, or cloud kings are going to get takeover bids. Well, that's ludicrous. It's not the case. These stocks deserve to come back down, and they did. They got what they deserve. ServiceNow, you know, I love all these companies, but ServiceNow helps businesses automate their workflow. It shed nearly 10 points. Workday, which just reported a terrific quarter, down seven. Adobe lost four. I can't even take over that. Coupa Software, which bills itself as the Salesforce of expense management. So the CEO last night. Like them. Uh, fell more than five bucks. Twilio, Okta, Zscaler, Zendesk. Four amazing companies. I mean, amazing companies. Also, their stocks get hammered. Think of it as cloud royalty being led to the... Again, these declines make sense. Yesterday's cloud rally was all about froth because it was based on the fanciful idea that if Tableau could get a bid, anyone in the industry could be a target. I mean, I think that's absurd. In fact, I think the Tableau deal is a one-off. We heard from Salesforce last night, and later today we're checking in with Tableau's uh, Adam uh, Slipsky to learn more about what the merger means for shareholders. But long story short, the cloud stocks didn't suddenly become takeover targets, so they had to give back yesterday's gains. I said it would get ugly, and it did. Mark Benioff bought Salesforce, uh, from Cosio Salesforce, bought Tableau because he wanted scale. It was a scale offering. You're not going to see this. These other companies are not going to get bids. Okay. the second source of the market's sogginess, beyond me. Now, I'm not going to throw around sausage again, because I think I proved my point last night that this stock had gotten too hot. This morning, J.P. Morgan agreed with my analysis, arguing that Beyond Meat's valuation simply could not be justified after the stock's almost 600% return. Now, it makes sense to me. No wonder Beyond Meat lost 25% of its value today, although it's still up $27 from where it was trading last Thursday. Uh, Now, just like the cloud names that were slaughtered today, you have to understand, Beyond Meat, the actual company is Excellent, okay? There's tremendous demand for their faux meat burgers and sausages. Right now, these guys pretty much have the market to themselves because no one else has stepped up in scale to really challenge them. They are hard to keep in stock. Did you hear me? Hard to keep in stock. They're going for 10 bucks in some parts of the country. 10 bucks. However, the Beyond Meat stock moved up way too far too fast. I know you don't give tickets, uh, spinning tickets to, to stocks, but this one should have gotten one. It needs to cool off. But I'm, again, I'm not saying the company's bad. I'm saying the stock got too hot. Third source of sogginess, financial technology stocks have spent weeks rallying and rallying and rallying. For example, last week I spent a day interviewing executives as part of a corporate government conference I was running. I had the privilege of speaking to Dan Shulman, you know him. He's the CEO of PayPal. I adore this company. I was convinced that the opportunities are immense and PayPal still has a ton of room to grow. That makes me want to recommend the stock on any pullback, but it's been way too resilient. Today PayPal finally got dinged. I think it's emblematic of the whole financial tech group. These stocks are taking a much needed breather. They can't just keep going up and up on nothing. That's called multiple expansion and we don't like that. Fourth, the four companies participating in the companies in this week's mega mergers They also saw the stocks get pulverized. Now, I understand why Salesforce and Tableau will go down today. As investors think Mark Benioff is overpaying for Tableau, I disagree. I think Salesforce is a buy. But I get where they're coming from. Tableau stock down nearly 2% seems reasonable. Anything below 150 for Salesforce, bing, pull the trigger. But look at this United Technologies and Raytheon down 4% and 5% respectively. I think the world of these companies, and I am aghast if their stocks were laid to waste. As I see, it, United Technologies is worth a heck of a lot more than what it's selling for right now. I'd be a buyer here, but today I heard creeping worries that this merger could end up like, wow, the Dow DuPont deal. Don't tell people who subscribe to the, Ch- Chapel Trust newsletter. Wow, that was disastrous. It's true. That, like Dow DuPont, we have no idea what the future holds for these companies or how the trade war might hurt United Technologies. If you're patient, I do believe you'll be rewarded. But I said that about Dow DuPont, and I was wrong. However, I feel very alone here, as the market's verdict was incredibly negative. And it sure doesn't help that Bill Ackman, the notorious activist uh, investor in United Technologies, opposes the deal going up against Greg Hayes says he's willing to attempt to block it if needed. I don't like the action here, but we need to accept that these stocks are in merger limbo, and that's not what you want to see unless you're saying, OK, listen, we're going to mark some time here. OK, we'll mark some time. Now, unfortunately, Raytheon's decline bled into the whole defense sector, bringing down Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, Lockheed Martin. Of course, these stocks all behaved like a deal was in the works. They were all bid up in advance. Someone knew. If you look at the stock of Raytheon, been going up, it went up big ahead of the deal. Hey, speaking of deals, the Sprint-T-Mobile merger hit a major roadblock when attorneys general from nine states and the District of Columbia sued to stop it because it looked like that the feds were going to approve this one. The stocks got hammered today, especially Sprint. That's nearly 6%. Now, listen, I think it still makes sense to buy T-Mobile, John Ledger's company, because it's a win-win situation. Either the deal happens and the stock wars, or the deal doesn't happen and the company does just fine on its own. Now, look, now you see this is soggy, but we had some concrete news it would have overcome the sogginess. Maybe a rate cut plan from the Fed or just the whiff of a trade deal with China, not the president saying, hey, listen, it's up to me or something. I mean, geez, he said, she said. As I said this morning on Squawk on the Street, the market is fine and the economy is fine. Not great, not bad. Fine. Now, you could call it a Goldilocks situation. I think that misses the point. Like my old partner, Larry Kudlow, hey, really good interview with him later today on the show, uh, uh, this afternoon, said on our air, there's not much inflation and the economy is robust. I'll add that if the trade war with China heats up, I'm betting Fed Chief Jay Powell will give the economy a boost with a well-timed rate cut. I wouldn't call that a good situation, but I, I wouldn't call it a bad situation either. It's fine. And by the way, I mean genuinely fine. Not fine like it's really terrible, but you're too passive-aggressive to come out and say it. It's fine. It's okay. All right? If you're wondering why I'm not more bullish, i got to ask, where, have you been paying any attention? we had a colossal rally. After this kind of run, the bull is fatigued. The bull is tired. The froth is being tamped down. That's exactly what this market needs in order to recharge. There's nothing really wrong with that. Still, the bottom line, the president could slap tariffs on any country, including Germany that he feels like targeting, and that would be bad for both the stock market and the economy. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, things are really pretty okay. So don't be alarmed by today's subpar action. Some of these stocks got too hot for their own good. Now they're cooling off. And you know what? That's fine! Catherine in Nevada, Catherine! Jim, how are you today? I am good, Catherine. How about you? I am very blessed. Booyah! Booyah. (laughs) Booyah. Oh. All right, how about a stock too? I mean with all one with that great laugh. What's up? Okay. I'm calling about Caesar
2: stock. C C R with Carl Icon
4: owning a third of it on the and other casinos on the strip and doing multiple positives. Right. Renovations and a possible merger with seizures in El Dorado why doesn't it get talked about more and why is it so
3: low okay well because the balance sheet is bad uh Catherine, that's really what uh just straight straight out it's the balance sheet is awful may i suggest sheldon adelson's las vegas sands 5.25 percent yield and really well run that's the stock for you in the casino area how about we go to lou in florida lou hey jim how are you i am good how about you lou OK, Jim, I own a lot of banks,
2: City, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, two regionals and Morgan Stanley. So with the possibility of lowering of interest rates, should I worry about
3: net interest margin or will the yield curve widen, as some people are saying, which will help the bank? The stock market is saying that the yield curve will widen. You're a very smart fellow. You obviously understand the uh, the metrics. Uh, I, For my travel trust, we trim some City. I just don't like the environment. I think we got kind of lucky. Uh, I think that in the end, net interest margin is going to control again, and the stocks are not going to be that good. I wish I could be more bullish about the bank group. They're kind of like the oil stocks. How about we go to Brent in California? Brent. yeah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. First time caller. Okay. I want to talk about gold, Jim. Uh, I got positions in AU, Nugget, and Kirkland Lake which you recommended a little bit. Yeah, we had Kirkland Lake. I thought those guys were terrific. Didn't you think they were great?
0: No, you made me some money, my friend.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, we had them all, and I didn't really kind of want to, I mean, I didn't know them very well. I did a lot of work on them. I said, these guys are good. I say stick with Kirkland Lake. That is a very well-run company, and thank you to our uh, fabulous producers. It may have been Heather Gaines. I'm not sure. It might have been um, Stace, Uh, but that was just really, that's Katie Spencer. That was just such a good booking, and I wish they'd come back on. All right, this market is recharging, guys. Things are fine. Uh, the president's a bit of a wild card, though, huh? All right, oh, man, buddy, tight. Mike Swiss with the CEO of Tableau Software. What a home run, fresh off the acquisition announcement. And is it a case of he said, she said? I'm milking that one. I, I'm talking Trump and China ahead of the month's G20 meeting. It's going to be big. And this market's been enduring whipsaw volatility for weeks. And we've begun to accept it as the new norm. But is there more instability ahead? I'm giving you the VIX fix. Sell, 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 sell. tonight's off the charts. So stay with
2: Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match
3: i got a just unrelentingly positive story here. Yesterday, the cloud cohort caught fire after Salesforce announced its largest acquisition ever, the all-stock purchase of Tableau Software. Hey, this is just you know DHEA. It's a major player in the business analytics space. Not only that, Tableau was one of our cloud princes, and that makes this a royal wedding. We love the princes. Now, last night, we spoke to Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, to get his perspective on the deal, but I'm not done with this one because this is so important. This transaction is, I got to tell you, maybe I think the big game changer. Let's take a closer look with Adam Slipsky, and you'll find out why. He's the president CEO of Tableau Software, who's making his shareholders a fortune with this deal. Mr. Slipsky, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, it's great to be with you as always.
3: Adam, I believe in you from the day you got the job. I remember when you got it because you were going to revolutionize it. You come from Amazon Web Services. This has to be the crowning achievement, and you're not that old, so it's pretty early to have a crowning achievement.
4: Well, that's very kind of you. I mean, the company's just done great. Uh, you know, when I came to Tableau, I knew there was an amazing product, an amazing team, and an amazing Tableau community. And uh, I think with, with those assets in place, you know, we've just spent the last few years trying to assemble them in the right way and trying to uh, figure out how we can create real value for customers while growing the business rapidly. But it's, it's been awesome to work with all those pieces.
3: All right. Well, there's two things that Mark told me last night at the Ohana, which is a fabulous room that he's got for charities to be able to throw uh, their events. He said, one, Adam is coming with me. I hope he stays. And two, he wanted stock because he believes. How about those?
4: Uh, Well, as Mark said, uh, you know, Tableau is going to run independently within Salesforce. Uh, It's still going to be Tableau. We're still going to have the Tableau conference conference. Uh, I'm staying as the CEO of Tableau, uh, my entire management team, my whole executive team uh, is on board and staying. Uh, and at the same time, we're going to have the best of both worlds. We're really looking forward to exploring all of the synergies with Salesforce on the product side and all the different uh, IP and assets that both companies have, and of course on the sales and distribution side and uh, the ability to just make life better, uh, better for customers. So uh, you know, we just think this is a very good way for us to you know, participate in that joint success.
3: Well, let's talk about uh, the notion of the pipeline that he has in the Salesforce. I had felt that you would get to where you ultimately sold the company eventually. This really does uh, hasten things. What does a Tableau software within a Salesforce mean versus an independent Tableau software?
4: Uh, Well, I think there's many different dimensions to that that excited uh, everybody on uh, on both sides of this. Uh, Just to kind of dive a little deeper into the product side, Uh, We obviously have a very broad and deep analytics platform. Uh, Salesforce has a lot of things that are interesting in the analytics space with a lot of uh, machine learning and uh, AI-driven capabilities. Uh, Our engineers can't wait to pop the hood on on those and uh, check out what things we we might use on behalf of our customers. Obviously, there's technology they might use, too. I think uh, there's going to be a a lot of attractiveness on the uh, marketing and sales side. Uh, Salesforce has you know, many many thousands of field reps around the world I can't wait for them to be uh, passing leads uh, from either joint customers or new customers uh, uh, into our field uh, look forward to marketing at places like Dreamforce. I think there's a ton of possibilities.
3: Let's talk about the joint customers. Uh, Mark was telling me about a Minnesota customer. He, he, left the, you know, he was at the customer. Everything worked out well. And at the end, he said, listen, I'm, uh, the customer said, listen, I'm just going to go uh, merge this with Tableau Software. It's going to work really well. How many merged with Tableau Software work really well customers do you guys have?
4: I think there's, uh, there are already a lot. I mean, so we, we already are both working at places like J.P. Morgan Chase. Charles Schwab, Verizon, Southwest Airlines, Schneider Electric. Uh, there, there's a, a long and impressive list. Uh, and we'll also uh, each have our, our own customers that we'll be able to, to, to introduce to each other. So I think they're all uh, part of the broader uh, communities. Uh, uh, Salesforce has the trailblazers. We've got the Tableau community. There's two of the most powerful, uh, uh, just loyal, passionate uh, sets of users and communities, really in the whole technology industry, and I think it's going to be magic if we can bring those two together. All
3: right, well, let me bring bring up one that it may not be as magical. Uh, LinkedIn. Okay, so yeah, Mark has been a Mark's a competitive guy, and he's competitive against uh, Microsoft. I mean, now there is a little bit of tension between Microsoft. It's creative tension, let's call it that. But I mean, a LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft. Is that just something that goes away when this happens? Uh, I'm sorry, is, does what go away, Jim? Well, I'm saying Microsoft is now kind of Microsoft versus Tableau Salesforce. I think that's a real. Ah, oh, I think you guys it, are it. really going to be competing head to head.
4: Sure. Well, look, it's a complicated world, Jim, and you know we we have a multifaceted relationship with Microsoft. We obviously compete today as at Tableau against Microsoft, but we also cooperate very closely with them and tons of customers. Uh, are running Tableau today uh, on top of Azure, and there are you know lots of groups in Microsoft who who really like driving that Azure usage and really like driving Windows licenses as well. And so it's, it's my hope that, that we'll continue to do that and cooperate together for years to come because it's good for our customers. And Tableau is all about choice and flexibility. Deploy on-premise, deploy in any one of the popular public clouds, deploy as a fully managed SaaS offering, connect to any data source which matters to you. Uh, that choice and flexibility, as far as we're concerned, is not going to go away.
3: All right, well, I want people to know that this, the Tableau that you and her did not have all those capabilities, that you really moved it to the cloud. I remember when the big February breakdown happened in 2016, Mark himself told me, you know, it's not really a cloud co- company, Jim. But then you got there, you made a cloud company faster than any, anybody I've ever seen adopt. And I think it's just a real credit to you. I want to congratulate you and everything you've done for your shareholders. Adam, you're really terrific. Great work.
4: Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. I mean, it's been an amazing effort by the whole team of you know, over 4,000 people. We have come largely through a transition to a subscription model pretty much faster than I think right. any software company of size has ever done so. we built a big enterprise business, which I think is still going to get a lot bigger. And we're just really excited uh, for all the possibilities of working uh, really closely with, uh, with Salesforce and, and within Salesforce well, going forward. Well, deservedly so. I great. hope to
3: see you out at, uh, at Dreamforce later this year. That's Adam Slipsky, the president and CEO of Tableau Software. He did what you always hope CEOs do. He made a killing for you. Stick with me.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard.
3: When it comes to the trade war, this could indeed turn out to be a case of he said, she said. Or at least it might go that way if President Trump and President Xi bother to talk to each other when they attend the G20 meeting at the end of the month. But right now, that's become a very big if. We have no problem we're going to go. President Trump will be there. See, Trump has ratcheted up his take lately. He's saying that if she doesn't show... He may roll out new tariffs that are much higher than the 25% on the $300 billion worth of imports from China that are currently untouched. Of course, if Trump goes there, he could effectively shut down Chinese exports to the United States entirely because no consumer is going to tolerate something more than a 25% price hike. Businesses would balk too. That's why companies need to have backup sourcing in other countries, something that Apple apparently has already, at least according to Foxconn, the ta- Taiwanese contract manufacturer that assembles most of their iPhones. And I've got to tell you, that's what caused Apple stock to go up today. I know Trump is is always calling she a great friend. And in some ways, I think he actually envies his counterpart's strongman image. But this gauntlet of G20, meaning it could hammer the stock market if it goes badly. Remember, our president is indeed tariff happy. He has no hesitation about imposing these taxes on foreign merchandise. He genuinely believes, by the way, uh, that our trading partners pay the cost of the tariffs, which brings in big amounts of money from overseas. Now, that's not really true. A tariff is a sales tax. And we know that sales taxes mostly fall on the consumer. But in Trump's view, the tariffs force China to pay our government money which means they're a win-win. They help close the deficit and they encourage American companies to move their business elsewhere. This whole assessment is based on what I call an alternative fact set, also known by some as fiction. But what matters is the president believes it. Don't get me wrong. I've been more, more, I'd say more supportive about the trade war than most, no, than all commentators. I believe we have a good reason to crack down on China's bad behavior. That said, it is just wrong to pretend there's no cost of tariffs. You could think it's worth the trade-off without denying that there is a trade-off. That's where I am. But as long as the president refuses to believe that, I expect him to go after Germany. Yes, Germany, not just China, but Germany by the end of the G20 meeting. Why? Because this morning he tweeted about how the euro is being debased versus the dollar. Quote, Putting the U.S. at a tremendous disadvantage, end quote. Unfortunately, the European Central Bank is not going to let the euro rise in value. Europe needs a weak currency. So there's only one way to offset that currency advantage, and that's by slapping tariffs on the German exports, especially German cars. I cannot believe no one else picked this up this morning. This was the most important tweet of the day. Believe me, the president is none too happy that BMW opened a billion-dollar plant in St. Luis Potosi, Mexico, just yesterday. Cruel irony, wouldn't you say? 2,500 people already work at this facility, which is just open, which builds the incredibly popular BMW Series 3. The company plans to make 175,000 cars a-, a year there, and 220 Mexican suppliers stand a bit of it. These days, cars have so many bells and whistles that the multiplier effect from a plant is just simply enormous. But Trump can't put tariffs on the Series 3 because it's made in Mexico. Uh, he just agreed not to go after Mexico. However, he can always get back at Germany, both because they're aggressive about promoting their own exports and because he thinks they don't pay their fair share in NATO. And yes, I know they have a factory in South Carolina. That's not what this is about. As long as the president believes the tar- tariffs Carry no risk for the United States, only rewards. We should expect more barriers to trade pretty much everywhere. Sure, he's making these decisions based on a major misunderstanding of what I call reality. But since when has that ever stopped any occupant of the Oval Office? That's why we're back to the he said, she said at the end of the month. And the outcome could be explosive either way. I need to speak to Tom in Florida. Tom.
1: Hi, Jim. This is Tom from beautiful Jupiter, Florida. I love
3: Jupiter! I love there! Of, That's great. What's up? Home of, one, home of one of your favorite baseball players, Mike, Mike Schmidt. Michael J. Schmidt. Absolutely. He used to throw baseball around. Oh, my. <laughs> the best third base who ever played. Best yep. third baseman yep. ever.
4: I agree. I and agree. And a great
3: guy. Yep. I have his picture. I agree. I have his picture. Okay, what stock? My stock is Monster Beverage. Now, do you think they might be a good candidate for a takeover? No, I Patrick don't. I think you're purely playing it the for Ernie. Might come into play? You're playing it for Ernie's game, and I think that the Ernies are, are 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 very good. They're uh, actually they're on an upswing again. I think you're okay with Monster. I like the situation. Let's go to Edward in. New uh, Thank you for the kind comments. Edward in New York. Edward.
2: Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. <laughs> All right, Jim, I got one general question for you. When Alibaba gets listed, second listing in Hong Kong, what will happen
1: to the New York listing?
3: Well, in the end, you know what? We're not going to—we're just going to deal with the fundamentals, and the fundamentals are, are the best of any company they have over there. It's the only one I'm still recommending, and it really hurts. Let's go to Joseph. It was nice today. Let's go to Joseph in California, please. Joseph.
1: Hi, hey, Jim. Hey, first I'd like to say that uh, thanks for all you do for the average Joe's out uh, there.
3: You're quite welcome. Yeah. Thank you. That's exactly who all of us are. Let's never forget that. How can I help?
1: Yeah, I'd also like to say that uh, thanks for your stories about your parents. It made you who you are today. You bet. And uh, I appreciate those stories, especially if you coming up. My, my question is on uh, iRobot. They seem to be a casualty of the trade war with China, and I was just wondering with both sides digging in so hard, is there gonna uh, is there a chance to buy, sell, or hold? I mean, where, I do, think I it's too there, hard, you know? sir?
3: I just think it's too hard. Sometimes, we really, we don't want to. Oh, you know, look, we've got companies that are very good, uh, like a Procter and Gamble, okay, like a Walmart. These are really solid American blue chip companies, and they're better than iRobot, and that's what you should be buying in this situation. Right? It all comes down to what Trump says, she says. I'd expect barriers to be raised pretty much everywhere. Look out, next could be Germany. Much more mad money ahead. Two years ago, EQT acquired its rival, Rice Energy, for $6.7 billion, create one of the largest independent natural gas powerhouses in the country. But with the company stuck in a proxy battle, wondering if the company can regain its energy, it's not clear. Remember, Nat Gas, whoa, is it cheap? I'm talking with the CEO. Then, oh, what's the market fear gauge signaling? I'm going off the charts to find out. Oil calls a rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
2: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day was Squawk on the Street, live from Post Nine
0: at the NYSE.
3: I mean, honestly, these companies are selling thirty times earnings.
1: What are they producing?
0: <laughs> you and I were both processing sometimes, that. They,
1: they'll let sometimes, Scott, yeah. you just got you just got to sit back and let let the magic happen. It all starts
2: at nine a.m. Eastern. A bit of a
3: ho hum day where the averages started strong and then gave up the ghost. You need to understand why so many people are feeling queasy right now about the market. On the one hand, we've just had a magnificent rally, best of the year. On the other hand, if you buy stocks right after a huge run, what well, you're chasing and chasing is risky. And I'm being nice about that. There's a real chance that we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves, as I said at the top of the show. We might be due for a pullback. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts. We need some help here. We're going to go to Mark Sebastian. He is a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com. Confidant of mine really helps me. Colleague at RealMoney.com, where I, I blog, get a better read the action. Mark is our resident expert on the CBOE Volatility Index, and that's the VIX for short, which measures the implied volatility of the S&P 500. The VIX is nicknamed the fear gauge because it's a very good proxy for the overall level of panic in the stock market. And that's why we normally expect the volatility index in the S&P 500 to move in opposite directions. When the market's falling, the VIX should be going up, as investors become increasingly afraid, right? Wouldn't you? When the market's rallying, well, the VIX should be going down. Investors become a tad complacent. So if the VIX and the S&P 500 are moving in the same direction, that tells you something's gone awry. Whatever direction you're going in, it means the move is in danger of being rolled back or reversed. Unfortunately, for the last few days, the VIX and the S&P have been doing just that. I know it was supposed to be great last week, but listen to me. Sebastian says that we may be needing to pull in our horns a tad. First, though, you need to understand that this is a reliable tool. So let's take a look at this pair of daily charts showing the S&P and the volatility Index going back to the beginning of the year. So we get a little subtext here. Remember, at the end of April, okay, uh, Sebastian pointed out that the stock market was rallying, and yet the VIX was creeping higher anyway. Okay, signifying that people were still afraid. That's why he told us he expected a garden-variety sell-off, although he, we warned, he warned us not to be too afraid because the pain would be temporary. Sure enough, when May rolled around, ooh, hey, it was bad, right? It got very ugly in a choppy month, just like the action the VIX predicted. So let's just chalk him up as, being, as nailing this one absolutely superbly. However, the volatility index peaked in mid-May. Okay, here's your peak. Uh, as the sell-off in the stock market continued, the VIX pulled back from its highs. Okay, so here's the high, and it pulled back from its highs. So when the S&P started hitting new lows, okay, the VIX wasn't even at the high for the month. Well, there you go. The market was getting pummeled, but the fear gauge was also going lower. That's a classic sign that we were at a bottom. Nailed again. So the VIX and the S&P 500 began to move in the same direction, and the trend changed, and the S&P came roaring back. Okay, so there you go. It's a, a pretty darn good call. You know, this, you can see it's creeping up. But the main thing you have to recognize is this: when this did not, this area was not breached. It should have been here if it was going to be negative. Which brings me to what's going on right now. Over the past week, the market has exploded higher, with the S and P 500 tacking on five percent uh, over a period of five days. That, that averages out to be about one point one percent run per day. At first, the VIX came down, which is what is supposed to do when the S and P is soaring. But by last Friday, it had already come down from 19 to the low of 16 in a matter of days. That is textbook rally action. However, then the VIX stopped going down while the S&P 500 continued to work its way higher. The volatility index pretty much sat there at the 16 level. And that's exactly the kind of situation that Sebastian worries about. This is, this is not... That's a kind of drawing a face there that was upside down. This is not what he wants to see. The VIX just sits there or even crawls higher and this goes higher, that's wrong. It's not good. For the past couple of years, almost every time the VIX and the S&P rallied t- together, the markets quickly had some sort of sell-off. The most notable one was in January of last year. So take a look at this longer-term chart of the VIX and the S&P. I mean, look at this. They were both chugging along in the very beginning of 2018. Then the market had a horrendous breakdown. Now, Sebastian doesn't think we're set up for a serious sell-off like this one. He- he's just not predicting that. Thank heavens. Uh, He doesn't believe we're going to to relive January of 2018. But when the S&P 500 goes higher and the VIX fails to go down, that's the equivalent of a yellow light. It's the market saying proceed with caution. This action tells Sebastian that the fund may be over, at least for the moment. As I suggest at the top of the show, volatility index refusing to go much lower is a problem. Okay? It means you need to be careful when you see the averages rallying like this morning because those gains could be rolled back. So, in other words, this VIX foretold the spike up and go down that we had today. So what needs to happen? Sebastian, who believed in the rally last week, and that was a great call, now says the S&P needs to pull back for a couple of days. Then we can have a slower, more logical and methodical rally. But until that happens, he thinks the VIX is going to stay above 16 and the stock market's going to chop. I agree with him. We're in choppy waters. Again, I'm just trying to be a little more cautious. Remember, I didn't like the froth last night. Remember, Beyond Meat, which, by the way, it's good company. Oh, uh, my executive producer does not remember the Beyond Meat. Cue the sausage, please. The bottom line, there are a bunch of reasons to be more uh, cautious here. Uh, In particular, the charts as interpreted by Mark Sebastian suggest we are due for a bit of a pullback. And given his recent track record reading the volatility index, I take him seriously. He's been dead right. He's not saying look out below. We're not going to get this, okay? But he does say we're going to get some turbulence. So what I say is, please don't chase. I think you're going to get better prices down the road. Where's the meat? They have money's back after the break. It is time! And then the Light are are And then the lightning rounds are are you ready, the are going to start with Donald in New Jersey, Donald! Oh yeah, Jimmy
2: Kendall, How are
3: you? I am doing quite Well, Donald how about you?
2: I'm doing well, Jim. Jim, my stock is uh uh Yeti. Y-E-T. Oh, by I like stock.
3: Yeti very much. I think it's by terrific God, by and by undervalued, God. and I think it's a long time hold. That's how I like that stock. I'd like to have them on too, by the way. Let's go to Greg in Minnesota. Greg,
1: jumping Jimbo Jamboree. How like Hey, what's up, man? Hey, listen, we're yep. down here in lovely Minnesota you ought to bring your Boston whaler. We're right down here on the Mississippi in okay. the great Hiawatha Valley. It'll be right. a great time, Jim. What hasn't been a
3: good time is Daktronics. No, Daktronics, Daktronics. No, 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 Daktronics. Oh, sell, I sell, haven't sell, liked sell, it for sell, about sell, six sell, years. Sell, sell, but sell, sell, I like to go, go down the levee anytime. By the way, the Tarpon Rodeo was fabulous last year. And I won first prize for the up. Actually, there was a guy in my boat, but I took the prize. Let's go to Todd in Virginia. Todd! Booyah! Booyah, Todd. Well, Todd? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead, Jim.
1: Jim, booyah. I'd I'd like to know about TXMD, what your thoughts are on that stuff.
3: TXMD? Oh, man. Ben Stoto and I were going over that today. He's the head of research, and we both said, ouch, like... Uh-uh. No, we're done. Cut it. Cut your losses. We're done on that one. Let's go to Kenny. And, oh, no. Well, you know what? We're going to hold Kenny. Instead, we're going to go to Tom in New Jersey. Tom. Hi, Jim. Tom from Lafayette, New Jersey. Oh, hey, I love this Lafayette, New Jersey. What's a up? Great run, buddy. Hmm? Uh, think about this uh, CGC. That's the only one I'm recommending. Kronos maybe a close second. But I think Canopy terrific thats Bruce linton doing a lot of great work with Constellation. I like the whole product pro- portfolio. I need Andrew in New Jersey, Andrew.
0: Yes, good afternoon, Professor Kramer. Oh, thank you uh, for giving me
3: tenure. Yes. Uh, yeah, White A Corporation. Should I hold on to it or get no, of it? No, sell, no, sell, no, no. Hey, listen, sell, 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 I mean, I look at, have you seen the uh, Walgreens? I mean, how can Wright Aid do well? Walgreens doing so bad? Hey, why don't we go to Ponkage, Ponkage in North Carolina punkage
1: hey, hey Booyah Jim Booyah So uh, I had contacted you A couple of years ago On uh, GenPack. Yes The ticker is G And uh, You know I made some good progress Over
2: there I wanted to see What the You know What the potential is but How now, high it can Can
3: it go We had Tiger on I mean, I thought the guy was unbelievable. I mean, it just told a great, great story. I know it's moved up a lot, but no, that's a great story. Let's go to Chris in South Carolina. Chris.
1: Booyah, Jim, South oh, yeah, Carolina. All All right, what do I do on? with uh, CWT, California Service Water?
3: I don't want anything to do with California and any regulation whatsoever. I mean, there's coal, there's California, there's fossil fuel. In other words, stay away. Um... Why don't we go to uh, Lois in South Carolina. Lois. Hi there. Kramer, you are my guru. Well, it's good How to be your nice. guru, frankly. What's up? <laughs> well, in March, I bought the medical dermatology stock from the Corporation with the stock symbol DER- DERM, D-E-R-M, yes, yes. at 1380 a share. All right. Well, you're getting hit a little bit there on that one. Uh, I do believe it's a nice spec, but that's all it is, is a spec. I mean, look at Allergan. I mean, that's a non-spec that's acting like a spec. So we don't want to get too excited about Derma. Uh, Dermatology just said, okay, business, not great. Uh, But you know what? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: The people who run publicly traded companies are supposed to be accountable to you, their investors. That's why I always find it compelling whenever we get a proxy fight. Disillusion investors, challenge the board of directors for control of the enterprise. Which brings me to a natural gas producer called EQT. Now, nearly two years ago, EQT announced this multi-billion dollar acquisition of Rice Energy in a transaction that created the nation's largest natural gas company, one that's focused on Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. If, and if you remember, probably aren't, most people may not, we were out in Ohio at uh, Utica. It was really quite exciting. Now, this deal closed in November of 2017, but it hasn't worked out the way everyone hoped, which is a diplomatic way of saying that the stock's been a real tough one, not like the rest of the group has been any picnic either. EQT traded up to 36 in the wake of the Rice takeover, and since then it's been Polax, plunging more than 50 percent to $16 and change, again, not unlike many other stocks in the group. In response, the company's replaced its CEO, appointing former chief financial officer Robert McNally to run the business starting last November. They've shaken up the board of directors, too. But apparently that's not enough for the two of the founders of this Rice Energy who've been advocating even more drastic changes. Basically, the Rice brothers think they can do a better job of running the company. For the past six months, they've been feuding publicly with EQT's management with no resolution. And in just a month's time, the shareholders will finally weigh in via a proxy contest. These corporate governance fights may be messy, but they're a great reminder that shareholders have a voice in the way their businesses. is are run, even if they only own, say, 3 4%. So I want you to be as informed as possible, which is why we're checking in with Robert McNally, He's the CEO of EQT Corporation, get a better sense of what's happening and hear his side of the story. Mr. McNally, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank air. You, Have Jim. a seat. Thank you for now, me. I've known EQT for, for years and years, and I've also known the Utica and the Marcellus, and we spent some time out there it, it's been a tough time in natural gas world for everybody, it not has. just for you 2 right? I mean, some, place, some places they can, can't give it away. Yeah, and the Permian, it's been negatively right. priced. Right. So in this environment, it's not like uh, any operator is really crushing it, given the fact that where natural gas prices are.
1: That's correct. And
3: That's in correct. the interim, how have you guys done versus, say, your expectations in the last three, four quarters?
1: Yeah, so I would say that, that really the relevant time period for us has been the last six months yes. since we took over. So right. we took over the, this management team in November of 2018. That's the time that we split the upstream and the midstream businesses right. and became a pure play natural gas producer. And right. as you pointed out, the largest natural gas producer in North America. So in that time, gas prices have fallen and it's been a really tough time for all gas producers. Right. Right. But we have materially outperformed our peers now that doesn't help shareholders when the absolute performance isn't isn't great but we have done better than our peers over that time frame you know and that's a time frame where we've had a huge amount of change right we've we have downsized the company we're we are pushing a real cultural change through the business and we're making real headway so we're seeing much better operational performance both in the fourth quarter okay. the first quarter and that's carrying through into the second quarter of this year
3: okay well you know i've checked in with the on uh, the other side, I mean, here's some of the things <coughs> they're saying. Maybe I, I don't want you to have to defend your life because I'll tell you, uh-huh. I, my charitable trust owns slumberjay and that's one of the greatest companies in the world.
1: It is. And its it has been horrendous. That's where I started my career, actually. Okay, I know. And that
3: was probably the most pristine and best oil-oil service play ever. Yep. And the stock's been more than cut in half. So you're not going to get a fight from me that it's been a great time and you shouldn't have doubled your stock. But they're saying um, that you're the highest cost operator in the Appalachian Basin. Uh, and even if uh, your plan, if it was achieved, would not change that. So why want to let the Rice team, which is promising $500 million additional cash flow, uh, take over run the show.
1: Right. It's, it's just not a true statement. You know, they, okay. they have made claims that it's not a plan. They've just made claims. And Those claims are not based in the reality of the business, they're not based in current service costs, in our footprint, the size of our footprint, the amount of water that, that we have to dispose of. And we think that the plan that we have put forward, however, is one that is based in reality, it's one that we're achieving. You know, just in the time that we've been in control of the company, we've cut $150 million worth of costs out of the system. Um, and generated $300 million of free cash flow between the fourth quarter of 2018 and the first quarter of 19. So I think that what we're doing is an aggressive plan, right. and it's achievable, where I think the Rice plan is one that is just not based in reality.
3: Okay. I mean, it's also, uh, it's really not clear. I mean, you just, you offered uh, a, a Rice as a, a COO job, then you put in this Mr. Gould, who seems like he's got some pretty good uh, background from both companies I know. Uh, they didn't want the COO job.
1: That's correct. When, when In uh, January, we offered Toby Rice the opportunity right. to compete for the COO job with others who we, we were recruiting. Uh, and his answer at that point was no, they, that he really wanted the uh, COO job. job. You
3: offered him the ability to compete. Right. Offer, that's right. The we didn't there, offer
1: him right? the job, but the ability to compete. Uh, and he chose not to do so. Okay. Now, on this
3: cash flow Statement that you just made—is it possible that your bound, more bountiful cash flow expected was really just the result of drilling fewer wells?
1: No, the the we are drilling fewer wells as we're going to a slower growth mode. Okay, but we're still growing production. So production in twenty nineteen is going to grow at about five percent. And will generate between three and four hundred million dollars of free cash flow in 2019.
3: And you, you talked about six months is the time we should look at. Uh, they're saying that the uh, tenure of the top seven managers is nine years, so how can you say that it's a new management team?
1: So when I took over, so I was the CFO prior to this, right. I took over as CEO in November. The person who's now CFO was, worked at the company but was the chief accounting officer. Okay. We replaced the head of IR with somebody who'd been at EQT for about two years. Okay. Uh, the general counsel had been there for a decade or so, but was not he was not I put somebody else in the job. So the whole, the whole senior team was basically new. S G-
3: switched up. okay. Well in the end though, I mean look, it, price cures all. I mean it does. if we were sitting here with Apache, Mr. Crispin, right? I mean, the stock's been cut, but, you know, in half. Well, if natural gas had gone up big, the conversation would have been what a great operator it is. I mean, I right. just, I think that when you're in the business, this is just my own advice, I'm older than you are, but when you're in the business that you're in, and I've watched this industry all my life, you know, it, it's not like you can't make, you can't make gas go to
1: 5 bucks. That's right. We, we can't control the price. Right. You know, we can do our best to get it out of the ground the cheapest, right? Right. Which is, that is the real goal in a commodity business. Absolutely. To be the lowest cost producer. And given the size and the scale, the quality of our asset base, we can be the lowest cost producer. Well, how do you line up against Cabot, which is a really pretty good operator? There? They are. Cabot does a great job, yeah. and they've got a great asset base. Right. It's not as big. It's not as scalable, but the quality of their rock is very high. So their cost, their cost structure is a bit lower than ours. Right. But I would say it's that something to shoot for. it is absolutely they're they're a good company to compete with. And I, but I would say that in the the southwestern part of the Marcellus Basin, we can be the lowest cost producer, and that, that is absolutely our goal. All
3: right. Well, fair enough. I mean, I caution everybody. This is these stocks are all tough. Even whether it be Simrex, I mean, which are great operators. Uh, Anadarko, for heaven's sake, they went and got a bid because they couldn't make it happen. Anyway, that's Rob McNally. He's president and CEO of EQT Corp. If you own it, obviously, you've got to do the work. You've got to study both sides. I tried to give you some of the questions. And uh, if you don't own it, look, if you think natural gas is coming back, it's a pretty interesting situation. Stick with Kramer. Though people always ask me, what are you worried about? And I've got to tell you, I think our president's love of tariffs is going to get in the way of economic growth if he's not careful. For instance, my biggest worry right now is he's going to say to Germany, you guys have not paid enough to NATO, so I'm putting big tariffs on you because, you see, he feels like he's had such success with Mexico. That may not work with Germany because the Germans are not going to roll over and play dead and give in. And that would be a very tough time for the market. I like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find just for you
2: right here mid money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.